Open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, chapter 5. Romans, Romans chapter 5. During our Sunday school hour this morning, and some of you are in different classes and other things, what we talked about was the, the state of literacy, of biblical literacy in the world is probably lower than it's ever been uh, since the printing press was invented, at least. Um, you know, a hundred years ago, people had a, a genuine everyone in the United States who was taught to read, was taught to read out of McGuffey Reader or a King James Bible. Everyone knew something about the Bible. And today, many Christians don't know very much about the Bible. And so we just, we were just singing Christmas songs and one of them was Round Yon Virgin. And what, why is that a significant thing? What is the significance of the virgin birth? So for those of you who were in the Sunday School Hour, I'm going to review a little bit to catch the rest of the folks up, and then we'll dive into uh, the, the meat of the message tonight, and that is why the virgin birth. But before we do that, Jay, come up here for a minute. <laughs> and this is why we have very few teenagers in the youth department. At least girls. Thank you. You can be seated. <laughs> that was terrible. No, we have a very good, healthy youth department that reaches out to all. <laughs> Even Jay Curlis. All right. Romans chapter 5. This is why there are sweaters like that. Romans chapter 5. And look at verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The simple fact of the matter is that all of us are sinners. Have you ever heard this, this question, why do bad things happen to good people? How many of you have ever heard that question asked? The answer is they don't. There are no good people. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. The only time something bad happened to a good person was when it happened to Jesus Christ. And He did that for us. And so let's look at this verse again. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. How did that happen? Well, the simple fact of the matter is, as I said a minute ago, we are all sinners because Adam is the father of all mankind. And his sin affected everyone that came after him. And so the, the, the truth is, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners, Right? And so someone tell me what I'm going to say about our children. What's the next thing that I always say after that? That's it. We, you didn't have to teach your kids how to throw a fit at Walmart. Why? Because they're sinners. And it's, it's hard to believe that that beautiful baby that you bring home, it's a, it's a beautiful, bouncing bundle of sin. It just is. And so the sin entered into the world because Adam and Eve sinned. And then look at what happened to us because of that. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians. And if you don't have a Bible with you, just look under the chair in front of you. There'll be a Bible there. Um, you're going to want to use one tonight. We're going to be all over the Bible. And uh, you'll, you might feel a little lost if you don't have the Scriptures in front of you. So Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So what happens is when a person gets born again, when they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life, they're made alive. 
They're, before that, they're dead in their trespasses and sins, and then they're quickened. That word quickened, it means to be made alive. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And that's is such an important component to the gospel, that you have new life. You're born again. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful truth. Then look at 1 Corinthians 5. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. And look at verse 22. And remember, what we're looking at is why the virgin birth? Why is the virgin birth necessary? For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So everyone that is made alive, quickened, it can only be done through Jesus Christ. Just as in Adam everybody died, only through Christ can everyone live. All right. Now, it says, the verse says this, For since by man, or or verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. That doesn't mean every person is going to be saved. What that means is every person who is saved is saved through Jesus Christ. All who are saved are saved through Jesus Christ. That's the only way for a person to be made alive spiritually. Um, So since death came into the world by a man, it would take a man, a perfect man, to pay for the sin of the world. Look at verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. But not just any man, it had to be the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. Very important that we get this. Look at verse 23. For every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at His coming. And just so you know, The Bible always defines itself. The all in verse 22, so in Christ shall all be made alive, is defined in verse 23. Afterward, they that are Christ's at His coming. So it's all of those that are Christ's at His coming. Who are those that are Christ's? The people that are in Christ. How do we get in Christ? By being saved, by being born again. So why was the virgin birth necessary? Because we're dead in sin. And death came by a man. So salvation must also come from a man. So let's look at how this all happened. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise... Remember, those are are Satan's three plays. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And Eve succumbed to all of those in the garden. So verse 6 again. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And this is the beginning of a works-based faith. They knew that they needed to be covered. They knew that something needed to be done, so they set about trying to care for it themselves. But it wasn't good enough. And anything we do to try to take care of our sin will not be good enough. Only Jesus Christ can care for it. And so Jesus comes onto the scene, and we see him here in verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God, the voice of the Lord God. That is Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That's Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the voice of God. So here is a a pre-incarnate, before Bethlehem, visit of Jesus to the earth. And it says this, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. You know, even today there are a lot of people that know that there are sinners and yet they hide themselves from God. It's hiding from the one thing that can help you, from the one person that can help you. Verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Now remember, God never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer. God never asks a question to acquire information. He asks the questions for us. And so he was giving Adam an opportunity to confess. And yet, look at what Adam says. Verse 12 And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And people do that today. I would serve God, but my wife brings me down. Hear people say those types of things. Look at the next verse. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And so I mentioned a minute ago that men would blame it on their wives, and the wives blame it on other things. And that's the nature of man, isn't it? That when confronted with our sin, we make excuses when what we need to do is repent and come to the one who can forgive us of our sins. And the Lord God said, or verse 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. So enmity, that's war. That's antagonism. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. That's between the serpent and the woman, Satan and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Very important that you see this. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. So according to the word of God, Satan has seed and so does the woman. All right. Now, this is a very specific promise because physically women don't have seed. Men do. And so this is a prophecy of the virgin birth. Jesus Christ is going to come through a virgin birth. That's the promise that is made in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And this is also the announcement of a war. There will be a war between Satan's seed and God's seed until the end of time. And that war begins and we can spend time going through and identifying the, the, different, the different items in that war. Let's, let's make a few examples. When Cain killed Abel, why did that happen? Well, the Messiah was supposed to come through Abel's seed. When Moses was going to be was was being born and they're in captivity and the, the Pharaoh says, "Let's kill every Jewish male child under a certain age." What was that? That was Satan's battle against the seed. When Herod did the same thing, when the wise men came to find the king of the Jews, that was Satan's battle against the seed. All through history, you see Satan's battle against the seed. You see it over and over and over again. And you ought to take the time to go through your entire Bible and find every place the word seed is used and always look for Jesus Christ. All right, then we have a prophecy here. Verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman 
and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So you have sin has entered into the world. There has to be a payment for the sin. Look at verse 19. Or look, look at verse 22. I'm sorry, it's verse 21. If you're taking notes, good luck. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and covered them. What is this saying? This is saying that sin, that blood must be shed to care for sin. What kind of animal do you think that was? Go to Revelation chapter 13. We're in the first book. Let's go to the last book of the Bible. Revelation. Chapter 13. And look at verse 8. So the Antichrist and the beast have risen. This is the prophecy of when that happens. And look at verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. That's the beast whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Genesis 3.15 and Genesis 3.21 are the promise of a lamb being slain for the sins of the world. And when did that happen? God had ordained that before the foundation of the world. You see, man's fall wasn't a surprise to God. He knew it was going to happen. Some would say, why would a loving God allow that to happen? Because God did not want to create robots. In order for someone to be able to love, they have to be able to hate. In order for someone to be able to choose right, they have to be able to choose evil. That doesn't mean that God created evil. He did not create evil. But man, in having the opportunity to choose good, could also choose the opposite of good. And remember, God is the ultimate good. God is the ultimate good. Why is heaven so wonderful? Because God is there. Why is hell so awful? Because God will not be there. And ultimately, when people go to hell, they're getting what they desire. The absence of God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Every good thing comes from God. How many of you want good in your future? Then you better find God. If you don't find God, all you're going to have is evil. All right, and so God created man, man falls, man sins. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so now we need to find a man who can pay for the sin of the world. So we have a promise. Go back to Genesis chapter 3 with me. Look at verse 15 again. Genesis 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman... And between thy seed and her seed. Now notice what it says. It shall bruise thy head. Not he. It shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. It shall bruise thy head, Satan. It shall bruise Satan's heel. Thou, Satan, shall bruise... <laughs> Thank you, Ty. It shall bruise Satan's head. But you, Satan, will bruise its heel. The head is a permanent wound. The heel is a temporary wound. It's an amazing thing how specific the Bible is all the way back at the beginning. So what we see right now is an amazing promise. One day in the future, there would be a man walking this earth that would not be from Adam's seed, but from the seed of woman. All right, that's Genesis 3.15. There's another part of the promise. It shall bruise thy head, not a he. So a person is promised 
but and it will bruise the head of the serpent. So we're to look for two things. A man born without a man, and an it to strike a decisive blow against the serpent. How is this going to happen? Go to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. And let's look at verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We'll get to the definition of Emmanuel in a minute, but it's really important that we see this. There was going to be a sign, and it's a very special sign, and that is there's going to be a man born without the agency of another man. Now, how many think that's a miracle? That's right. That is a very specific sign that God gave. A virgin would conceive. This would be a baby that did not come from Adam's seed, but from a woman with seed. She would be with child without a human father. This speaks of a child entering into the world who would not be the product of human reproduction. God has not lost it, forgotten His promise. The promise that He made in Genesis 3.15, in Isaiah 7.14, He's letting us know He did not forget His promise. Praise the Lord. Now, go with me to Isaiah chapter 9 and look at verse 6. We'll get some more information about this. Why the virgin birth? Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is born. Given. Given. The child is born. The son is given. This is not poetry. Why? Because the son existed before he was born. Isn't that wonderful? The child is given. The child is born. The son is given. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. Look at this. The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it, with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So there's a promise. What have we learned? We've learned that there's going to be a man that comes who's not born through the, the, the ordinary human reproductive system. He is not going to be of the seed of Adam. He'll be of the seed of woman. It'll be an it. Somehow there'll be an it that is associated with this. And now we also see that he's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. Now, wait a minute. There's a problem there. And this is something that the Jews had a real struggle with when the Messiah came. And that is, how can someone who is called everlasting, the everlasting father, how can he sit on the, father of his, on the throne of his father, David? We have a conundrum, don't we? Doesn't it remind you of the song, I'm my own grandpa? There's a problem, but that is the significance of the virgin birth. And this is why people struggle with the concept. We're going to see some fun things from the scriptures about it. So, this is obviously unusual. This is a birth announcement to the whole world. And this is a child who's declared to be almighty God. He's mighty God and the everlasting Father, and only God can do this. And the prophets were all puzzled by it. Go to 1 Peter, chapter 1. 
and verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. All right, so Isaiah chapter 53, he is despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. There's no uh, beauty uh, or, or comeliness. When we see him, we should desire him. The Bible says that he was pierced. He's, he, all through Isaiah 53, it describes the death of the Messiah. So how can this Messiah die? And then look at what it says. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. What's the glory? That's the king sitting on the throne of David. So how is he going to be an everlasting father and die and sit on the throne of David? What's that a prophecy of? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But they couldn't understand it. These Old Testament folks, even the prophets who wrote it, they couldn't understand it. And so God gave them an answer. Verse 12, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them, that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So people didn't understand that until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ came. He's born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He allowed himself to be killed, pierced, hung on a cross, driven through with a spear. He's taken down from the cross. He's put into a grave for three days and three nights. And then he walks out of that grave victorious over death forevermore. A few days later, after more than 500 people see him, he ascends to the right hand of the Father, and the angels promise us that this same Jesus, which you have seen go, will come again in like manner. And he's coming back. Isn't that wonderful? And what did he do? After he went away in Acts chapter 2, he sent the Holy Spirit of God. So who was that prophecy for? It's for us. It's for those people that have heard the message preached with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. It was for us. That's why they could not understand it. So how is all of this going to work? Go to Micah chapter 5. Micah. So just go to Matthew and go backwards a little bit. Micah chapter 5. And look at verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, I'll give you a second to get there. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So this would be a very confusing sentence. So what this is saying is out of Bethlehem, the Messiah will be born. Now, where was Jesus Christ born? You're scaring me a little bit. Where was Jesus Christ born? He was born in Bethlehem. So this is a prophecy more than 400 years before Christ was born that Christ would be born in this little village of Bethlehem. All right, that's the promise. And yet this person that is born, he's going to be ruler in Israel, but his goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So someone is going to come into the world who had been in the world before. How is that going to happen? 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The Son of God will take on flesh and bones and come into the world. And the process of that will be a virgin birth. The only problem is man sinned. And man became ever more sinful. And Satan had this battle against the seed. Go to Jeremiah chapter 22. And now we're going to get into the meat of what we came to discuss tonight. Jeremiah chapter 22. There was a king. His name was Keniah. Other places he's identified as Jeconiah. And Jeconiah was a very, very wicked king. A very wicked king. And what Jeremiah is doing is Jeremiah is promising the destruction of Judah. And remember, Jesus Christ came from the tribe of Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. All right? But Keniah is so wicked. Look at what God says about him. Verse 24. As I live, saith the Lord, though Keniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet upon my right hand, yet would I pluck thee thence. And I will give thee into the hand of them that seek thy life, and into the hand of them whose face thou fearest, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. And I will cast thee out, and thy mother that bare thee into another country, where ye were not born, and there shall ye die. But to the land whereunto they desire to return, thither shall they not return. Is this man Keniah a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed, and are cast into a land which they know not? Do you see that, he and his seed? That's very significant. You might want to mark that, he and his seed. Because that's the seed the Messiah is supposed to come from, the seed of David. We have a problem here. Verse 29, O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. And yet the promise is that through his seed, through this man's seed, listen, through this man's seed, the Messiah is supposed to come who will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. And Satan is clapping. He says, I won. I have won the battle of the seeds. And God says, not so fast. Let's look at the loophole that we find in the Bible that will answer this problem. Look at Numbers chapter 26. Numbers 26, look at verse 33. And Zelophehad, now, now I know that all of us do this. We get to these places in the Bible and we just speed read it. Because all these names and these, these, it just doesn't mean much to us. Would you all agree with that? But there's a lot of truth that God wants us to have from it. And this is one of the most important truths in the scriptures. Verse 33 again, And Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, had no sons but daughters. Now, all, all of you young couples, all of you teenagers, if you need some good names, 
for your children? There are some awesome ones here. Zelophehad must not have liked his daughters very much because he named them, and look at what it says. But daughters, middle of verse 33, and the names of the daughters were Zelophehad, of Zelophehad were Mala and Noah, I love this one, and Hogla and Milka and Terza. All right, so the important part is not the strange names. The important part is that Zelophehad didn't have sons. He had daughters. And Zelophehad was promised an inheritance of the land when they got into the land because he had been a faithful man. So he was one of the children of Israel that was supposed to go into the land and inherit the land that God had promised him, but he didn't have any sons. And the inheritance was supposed to come through the son. So now go to chapter 27, Numbers chapter 27, and look at verse 1. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of... Let's drop down to verse 2. And they stood before Moses. So, so the daughters come and they stand before Moses. And they stood before Moses and before Eliezer, the priest, and before the princes of all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. And he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves against the Lord in the company of Korah. And remember, the, Lord, the ground opened up and swallowed all those people. But died in his own sin and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family? Because he hath no son. Give unto us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. So they wanted the father's inheritance. The daughters wanted the inheritance, not necessarily for themselves. They wanted their father's name to go on through the inheritance. And look what God did. Anytime we're confronted with something and we're not sure what to do, this is what we ought to do, what Moses did. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a man die and have no son, then ye shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. And if he have no daughter, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his brethren. And if he have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his father's brethren. And if his father have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his kinsman that is next to him of his family. What is that? That's that law of the kinsman redeemer. Where does that come into effect? With Ruth. With Ruth and Boaz. And Boaz had a son. I think his name was Obed. And Obed had a son. And his name was Jesse. Jesse had a son and his name was David. So what God did was he found a way to go around the seed of man and bring the promise through the daughter. All right. Now, go with me to uh, chapter 36. You know what? We can skip that. That's a reaccounting of the same thing. Go with me to Joshua chapter 17. In chapter 36, the matter is brought again before the people. So this is, he, she, they come before uh, Moses and, and the leaders. And in chapter 36, they are given the promise before the whole congregation. So now Joshua, Joshua chapter 17. 
and look at verse 3. But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of, of Manasseh, had no sons but daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mahela, uh, Mala, and Noah, and Hogla, Milcah, and, T- and Tirzah. And so what happens here is they get their land. So when they go into the land, Joshua brings the, the, the children of Israel into the land. They get their land. Now go to First Chronicles. And look at verse 4, First Chronicles 7. And look at verse 14. The sons of Manasseh, Ashriel, whom she bare, but his concubine, the Aramitus, bare Makir, the father of Gilead. And Makir took to wife the sister of, Hip- of Hupam and Shupam, whose sister's name was Maekah. And the name of the second was Zelophehad, and Zelophehad had daughters. Isn't it interesting, the repetition of this in the Bible? What's repetition in the Bible? Zelophehad's daughters, they end up being very significant. What happens in the Bible is now go to Matthew chapter 1. Almost got ahead of myself there. Matthew chapter 1. Now, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have the history of Jesus Christ's ministry on the earth. All right? Matthew gives the lineage of Jesus going back to Abraham because Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews. Luke gives the lineage of Jesus Christ going all the way back to Adam because Luke presents Jesus Christ as the perfect man. Mark doesn't have a genealogy because because Mark presents Jesus as the suffering servant, and who cares about the lineage of a servant? And John presents Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and so his lineage goes back to the beginning of time, and the beginning was the Word. All right? So now the lineage in Matthew, let's look at Matthew chapter 1 and look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on those things, or on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou, what's it say? Son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost." And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a what? A virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is what? God with us. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. So she's with child of the Holy Ghost. No such thing had ever taken place before or since. He wants to put her away privately, but because he would not marry a woman who had been defiled, because he was a just man. But Jesus, the Savior, He comes. He comes. 
at last there's a Savior. Now we have a man who is born, but not of the seed of a man. Where does the it come in? Where does that take place? Look with me. It says, um, go to Luke chapter 1. And look at verse 26. This is Luke's account of the same event. Luke 1, and look at verse 26. The Bible says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou uh, that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, Wouldn't you be? And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy child. What's it say? That thing, that it from Genesis chapter 3. That thing. That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. What is the thing, the it? It's his body. You see, Jesus Christ existed forever, but He's a spirit, just like God the Father. In order for Jesus Christ to die on the cross, He had to have a body. We know from my sermon a couple of years ago, in, Matthew, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, the Bible says, thou, I call it the night before Christmas. Jesus said, Thou hast prepared for me a body. Now, none of us said that before we were born. Jesus Christ did because He was the preexistent one whose goings forth, according to Micah 5.2, have been from of ancient times, or from of old, from everlasting. Um, now, that holy thing. So what we have in Luke, all the prophecies are fulfilled in one person. The virgin birth of Isaiah 7. The throne rights of Isaiah 9. The conception of a man from Genesis 3. The eternal nature of the child from Micah 5.2. His being an offspring of God, not of Kaniah as required by Jeremiah chapter 22. And it's accomplished by that holy thing. Now, this is very important, that holy thing. She is not the mother of God. Don't miss this. Mary is not the mother of God. She's the mother of Jesus. Are you saying Jesus is not God? No. What I'm saying is she is the mother of His body. He existed before His birth. That's why it is blasphemy to call her the mother of God. Very important. Now, 
What does this do for us? It's the joy of Christmas. It's the joy of Christmas. What's our condition? What's our condition? Look at 1 Corinthians 1, or 1 Corinthians 15, and verse 22 again, where we started. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. What is our condition? The Bible says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. We have to have a virgin birth. We have to have a Savior. We have to have someone who came into the world unlike any other person that ever came. We have to have someone who comes from the seed of David, but who doesn't come from the seed of of Kaniah or Jehoiakim. We've got to find a way to have that accomplished. God did that. How? Because He has His birthright through His adopted father, Joseph, a son of David, and through His mother, who comes through the same line, and the inheritance according to the daughters of Zelophehad and God's wonderful work and promise to them can come through the mother, the daughter, Mary. What a wonderful thing God did for us. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.20, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. In Psalm 58.3 it says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. What's God's solution? It shall bruise thy head. Thou shall bruise his heel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world through a virgin birth. We celebrate that at Christmas. But look at everything that had to happen in order for that promise to be true. It's not a throwaway song and a, a throwaway line in a Christmas carol. It's the thing that allows you and I to be saved. Because the simple fact of the matter is we're sinners, we deserve hell. The wonderful grace of God caused Him to enter the world Himself. To be that lamb slain from the foundation of the world. To be the one to take away the sin of the world. The only one who could. The perfect God-man. I hope you're saved today. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Here's the question. If you died today, if you were, you know, God forbid, but you're in a horrible wreck on the way home and you die, where would you go? Would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Where would you go? I hope it's heaven. Do you know that you can know that? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, And these are written unto you that believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know it. Have you ever asked somebody that question? If you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Have you ever had someone say this? I hope so. If you ask me, I would say, I know so. Why? Not because I'm good. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy He saved us. Amen. Amen? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, is the gift of God. It's a gift. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't work for it. There's nothing you can do. The only thing you can do is receive it as a gift. The Bible says the wages of sin, what you get for what you do, the wages, the wages of sin is death. But... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can receive eternal life like a gift, but you can't have the eternal life by itself. The Bible says the life is in His Son, Jesus Christ. 
Isn't that wonderful? If you want to have, how many of you, you, you want to have that eternal life? Would you raise your hand? You want to have that eternal life. The only way we can have it is through Jesus Christ. And now let me ask you another question. How many of you have eternal life? Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. If you could not raise your hand, if you're not sure whether or not you'd go to heaven if you died today, we can take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. Amen? Amen. For those of us who are saved, those of you that raised your hand a minute ago, I hope that you will spend time in God's Word. Because the, the message that God has given us, the information that's in this book, it's supernatural. It's supernatural. Amen? Yeah. We have a wonderful Savior. We have a wonderful God who gave us an amazing message of an amazing, perfect Son of God, our Savior. Let's all stand together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach it and teach it and learn it.